I was in Sunday school class a few weeks ago and be read with Braille. And I just thought that was such a marvelous thing that we all want to enjoy her Bible reading. Thank you, B. Thank you, Bert. So glad to see you. So glad to be here today on the Chili Feed Sunday. Chili is a neat thing. Um, if you make it and you eat it right away, it doesn't have the same flavor as if you let it kind of cook. So the longer I preach today, the better the chili is going to get. <laughs> so just relax. Just relax. And what a, what a couple of cluster of stories the Spirit has put before us today. So a drug enforcement agent drives his big black truck up the lane to the farm, and the farmer looks at him with a steely eye, and the drug enforcement agent swaggers out, and he says, we have a suspicion that you're growing drugs on this place, and so we're going to search the place. And the farmer says, that's fine, but I'm just going to do you a favor and tell you that you probably should stay out of that field right over there. And the drug enforcement agent says, sir, you probably don't understand. He gets out a big badge and he shows it to him and he says, this badge says that I have the authority get granted to me by the Drug Enforcement Agency of the United States of America to search your entire farm. So I can search whatever I want to search. This badge gives me that authority. And the farmer says, okay. Then he and his buddy look knowingly at each other and they walk over, they just lean against the fence and they watch the guy go into that field. A few minutes later, he's running as fast as he can back to the gate. His face is beat red and he's hollering, call him off, call him off. And he's got a massive Charlet bull chasing him with, with sharp horns six feet across. Call him off, he says. And the farmer says, show him your badge. <laughs> and today's text is primarily about the authority of Jesus. We've already sung so well about that. This is going to be an encouraging Sunday for you. When you think about the authority of Jesus and what it means. And in the text, there are kind of three sections, three chunks, if you will. And they're going to show us that Jesus has authority over darkness. And that Jesus has authority over demons. And Jesus has authority over death and disease. He always has and he always will. Notice the first thing. Jesus has authority over the darkness. Luke in chapter 4 and verse 31 and 32. He went down to Capernaum, the city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And remember last week, we were in where? It was, a, yeah, Luke. But, but, but geographically, where were we? That's right. true. We were Luke. That's right. That's right. And ge that's right, Nikki. And, and geographically, what town were we in? We were in Nazareth. And Nazareth uh, is, interestingly, it's uh, Gal in, the, in the region of Galilee, in the north of Israel. And you go down, and you go down and a bit to the northwest because Capernaum is below sea level. And this, in other words, it's not south, but it's down. Now, Jesus goes into the uh, synagogue. Lois, you and I, I always like to remind people, we're, our little feet, or my big feet and your little feet, were standing in that synagogue one day. This is where in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, I asked 
a guy I was studying with, why do you think Jesus chose Capernaum for his hometown? And the guy said, I think it was because he liked the water. I'm like, well, that's, that's a good, warm and fuzzy answer, but it, it doesn't really have a biblical basis. There, the reason that Jesus probably chose Capernaum because three major routes passed through Capernaum, the Via Maris that went all around the known world when something happened in Capernaum, it, it, would, it would travel out of there north and south at about uh, 20 miles a day. And so his, his fame spread along the Via Maris in three places uh, convened there and it was a Jewish village. It was populated, and the synagogue there was just about, I think they say it's 85 feet from Peter's house. And so what, what you're going to see in the text today is that the three chunks of the text happen in, kind of in three places. They happen in the synagogue in Capernaum, and then they happen in Peter's house about 85 feet away, and then you'll see the next one, he, it refers to the, uh, the cities of Judea. But Jesus exercises authority over Darkness with his word, with his truth. And darkness is a lot of things, but it's essentially ignorance and, and lies. Darkness is a figure for ignorance and lies. Jesus exposes things that are lies by just speaking, because when he speaks, he speaks truth. And this has spiritual authority. Speaking truth has spiritual authority. So he went down to Capernaum, city of Galilee. It was teaching them on the Sabbath. You remember this, it was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. In the intertestamental testamental period between the dispensation, if you will, or the age, the Old Testament age and the age of the temple and to the age of the church, there was this, uh, this in-between thing that was an assembly, kind of like a church, the synagogue. And Jesus went there every week, every week. And if it was Saturday, if it was Sabbath, he was in the synagogue. And this is a good pattern. I commend you for following it yourself in church. They were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astonished at his teaching? Because other teachers would always refer to other people as their authority. But when Jesus spoke, he spoke as if he was the final authority because he is the final authority. He is the word. So he spoke as one. Other places in the scripture repeat this in other ways. When Jesus spoke, he spoke not just in an authoritative way. I'm sure he did. I'm sure when Jesus preached, he had game. I'm sure that you knew you were in the presence of a very capable communicator. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying that when he spoke, he didn't refer to other people for his authority he referred to himself as the source of authority. And this was um, something that astonished the people. Now, th in the way Luke writes the stories, he's always showing what Jesus did and then showing how people responded. And so it's a great idea for us. When we're studying the book of Luke, just like see what Jesus did and ask, how does God want us to respond? Since this is true, how should we behave? Since this is true, what should we believe? Since this is true, what is not true? How should we respond? And even the demons are going to respond. And so that's just a pattern you see in the way that Luke writes this. So there, there he is showing authority over darkness by exposing the darkness, by teaching the truth, by bringing the truth out from himself. And today, Jesus is still 
the truth. He's the way, the truth, and life. And so are you like me? Are you a little bit frustrated at where to go to get the truth? Are you a little bit frustrated in our culture? Like, who do I believe? You know, when I was a little kid, I was probably naive, and I thought, if you wanted the truth about what happened in the world today, all you had to do was turn on your television set at 6.30, and Walter Cronkite would tell you the truth. <laughs> if you're old, you know who Walter Cronkite was. Uh, so, like, all the old people are going, I remember him. <laughs> like, no, they're going, what did he say? <laughs> no, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, that, but you can't just turn on the news, because I sit and watch the news, and I go, they're lying. They're lying right now. And if you turn to another channel, they're just telling different lies. And I just want to say that. Where do you go for truth? Can I hear a Sunday school answer right now? Jesus is where you go for truth. You might think, well, I think this or I think that or, or I watched a video. I watched a YouTube video of a person who lived in this place and said this fantastic, amazing, sensational thing. Shut up. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? You, I know you got a YouTube, I know you got an internet connection and you can Google anything and some Yahoo is going to be saying something about what he or she thinks is true. But you have a Bible and you can see what God says and what Jesus says is true truth. So keep that in mind whenever, when, when you're confused about other things and you wonder about all the political winds that blow in different ways and all the theological things that people say, Read the Bible. Look what Jesus said, because when Jesus opened his mouth, he spoke the truth. And so, and this is very practical. Before I move on, go to church <laughs> and read your Bible. This sounds a lot like what my grandpa would have said in his little church. Go to church and read your Bible and do what it says. And that other stuff will sort itself out. There you go. Now, second thing, Jesus had authority over darkness. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And Jesus had authority over demons. This gets dicey. Look at verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out in a loud voice. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? So a guy speaking in this voice of a demon, and the demons talking in like there are more than one of them. It's kind of freaky, isn't it? I know who you are. And what he says is true. The Holy One of God. Even the demons know who Jesus is. But Jesus rebuked them. He said, be silent, come out of him. And repeatedly, Jesus is going to say to demons, I don't need you to test testify for me. I don't want you to testify for me. This was true. Remember Paul in Philippi and the demon girl follow him around? I always read that story, and I'm thinking, like, he's in service of the one true God. I'm like, I got advertisement here. And I would kind of think, if I was wanting to get a little attention for my speech, it might be helpful to have a demon-possessed girl telling people, this guy is for real. I know I've been from the Spirit. Well, his, they said, okay, we can't have this. They were smarter than me. Cast the demon out of her. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And there's a reason for that. We can get into it a little bit more later. But one of the things is Jesus doesn't need demons to testify about him. Plus, he doesn't want them to act as confidence men. You know how a confidence man or a confidence woman would work? She would maybe make a deal. He would make a deal with you and lose a little bit of money a couple of times until they had your confidence. And then they would take your life savings. And Jesus says, don't start believing these angels of light who are going to tell you the truth one minute, but then they're going to lie when your life depends on it. Just listen to what Jesus says and, and his word. And so, anyway, kind of got ahead of myself. They were astonished at his words, that he spoke with authority. He says, come out of them. 
the demon is thrown down in their midst, and he came out of him, having done him no harm. Well, this would be, when we read the Bible, we tend to read over these things without the appropriate shock and awe. Because if you were in church and somebody did this, I was just kind of praying this wouldn't happen today, you know, because I'd be like, ushers, uh, elders, uh, we, need, we need some people here. Help me out, you know. I'd be like, I'd be like anyway, I, I was kind of hoping that wouldn't happen today. Jesus handled it. And can you imagine, nobody's sleeping in church that day. Like, nobody's hanging out and back drinking coffee, not paying attention, you know. They're like, what, what's going on? You know? uh, and they were all amazed. And they said, what is this word? And here it is. With authority and power, he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. He's got authority. What is that? Anybody could see it. The big thing, he has authority over demons, over unclean spirits. And of course, the report about him went out to every place in the surrounding region. So it goes north, it goes south, it travels 20 miles a day. His fame spreads. He's casting demons out. He has authority. Now, it'd be really easy for us to be kind of fascinated with this, over-fascinated with it. Or it'd be really easy for us to say, I'm not sure I believe that, you know, because we're kind of naturalist. Because we kind of we, we all have kind of been raised in a materialist, naturalist approach to the world. Miracles don't happen. Primitive, ignorant people believed in demons, but we understand that we've got drugs to deal with these kinds of things now. That's kind of how we we're all kind of raised in that environment. C.S. Lewis had a word about that. You know, the Oxford Don that was converted. Uh, he wrote these words in a preface of a book about the devil he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. Really interesting, fun reading. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils, he said. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe but to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And you can see this in people. They themselves are equally pleased. In other words, demons are happy with that, with both errors. They hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Demon possession here is not merely an ordinary form of mental illness or disease that some writers have suggested. It's not like the people in the Bible were ignorant and primitive and they didn't understand. No, demons are real or the Bible isn't true. And the scriptures say a lot about it. Frequently during Jesus' earthly ministry, it was directly, demons manifested themselves, probably because this was showtime. It was kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light. And Jesus was bringing it here and now. He said so. So it would be the front lines of spiritual warfare. That would be why there would be such an outpouring of demonic activity that we don't see as overtly now. There are other reasons we'll get to. But don't confuse mental health issues with demonic activity. And I want to speak with carefulness here. And this, this is important to you. Don't just take my word for it right now. It'd be sit down with somebody that's a, that, that's a Christian mental health professional uh, pastor and sit down and, and walk through your loved one or your experience and untangle these things because Satan wants to confuse us in this. But we can't just say, oh, mental health problems were not recognized as mental health problems in the Bible and they called them demons. That's not true. Don't confuse them. But always be aware of this. This is what I've experienced and seen and understand that demons can choose times of physical stress or mental stress to add 
temptations or oppression to the problem that already exists. Demonic influences or oppression are sometimes and often they're timed up to take advantage of mental illness episodes, if you would call them that, or physical or organic weaknesses. And we've seen this often in our ministry and when people that we love, that's like, look at that. Satan knows when to add fuel to the fire that's already there of of a, of a time of uh, hormonal change or a life change or a chemical change or an organic physical thing. And he also sends a temptation at that time or he also oppresses at that time. It's not either or, it's both and. And we should just be aware of that. Some do believe that severe forms of mental health diagnosis are demon possession. And there's some fascinating things to read on that, but nobody should be irresponsible about that. Here's what we do know, because the Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil. They are at work right now. And believe this is what the Bible teaches. Demons and devils are real. And they're powerful, but they are limited in power. They're knowledgeable, but they're limited in knowledge, and they're limited in number. They're, they're not omniscient. In other words, they're not all-knowing, but they have access to a lot of information. They're not omnipresent, but apparently they travel fast, and they're efficient in their travel. The Bible has lots to say about the devil and demons. The word demons appears 77 times. Demon or demons appears 77 times in the New Testament, it's mentioned in 19 of the 27 New Testament books. And the scripture confirms the existence of demons repeatedly. God created everything. He didn't create evil, but demons are fallen or rebellious angels. And Satan is their leader. And all of our sickness and problems and accidents can't be attributed to Satan and demons. However, he is often active in our problems. And that's what makes it confusing sometimes. Demons can cause or exploit mental and physical illnesses. So it's always good if you're tracking with me. I think, you know, pastorally, when you're thinking about your own family, when you're helping people, you don't want to just say, oh, you know, my husband acts that way because he's demon-possessed. You know, maybe, you know, maybe. But but I wouldn't say it that way. Uh, it, It might be that you might think like this. There's the world, the flesh, the devil. There are circumstances that I don't understand. And all of these forces can be at work at the same time in a loved one. In a marriage, in a child, in a neighbor, in in a troubled person. And one should be patient. I'll show you that in a minute. Scriptures are clear. Give a lot of truth. Be very patient. Be circumspect and careful with people. And be gracious and loving. But recognize that there are different things probably at work in these things. So demons have strength and they have knowledge. And they fear Jesus. Demons can possess a person, according to the Bible. But they can't indwell a true disciple of Jesus who has the indwelling Holy Spirit. Whoever true Christians can be harassed or negatively impacted by demons. There are many examples in the Bible of this where satanic or demonic suggestions are made to Christian people when they're oppressed. Still, we've been given the power to resist them, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. There's something else I want to say while we're kind of on this subject that I often listen to people talk about this and I think, why don't they make that clear distinction? People say the devil this, the devil that, the devil this, the devil that, as if he was omnipresent and as if he visited you every other day. But there's only one devil. He's not God's equal. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He can only be one place at a time and he only knows what he knows. So when the people say the devil this, the devil that, and the Bible does this sometimes, 
Often what they're talking about is the whole demonic or satanic system. So they're speaking with a figure of speech, not the devil himself, even though we believe in a personal devil. Don't misunderstand. Often what we probably should say is that might be done demonic. But we kind of say the devil did this. And so sometimes I think an uninitiated or an unbeliever or an, uh, an uninitiated, untaught believer might hear us talking. We might say the devil this, the devil that. And you're like, wow, he's busy. Like, or has he, have you, do you and the devil? I mean, are you, you must be a big hitter. Anyway, you, does that make sense? I, I think it's an important caveat that I think we should remind ourselves. In other words, we say the devil and we mean such and such, meaning his system. Satan and demons work in ways, though that are sometimes overt and bizarre, but more often, especially in our culture and our time, for reasons that make a lot of sense, if, he doesn't, if you don't believe in him, he doesn't want you to believe in him. Right? Why would he manifest himself to you if you don't believe in him? It'd be smarter if he just went incognito. I think that's what's happening in many cases in America today, although I believe that will change. Talk to missionaries, and you'll see there's a kind of a difference in naturalistic cultures and animistic cultures, naturalistic, materialistic cultures like the West and animistic cultures like the majority world, you, you find there's a difference in the way demons manifest themselves. Again, talk to missionaries. Watch out for subtle, but watch out for subtle, indirect ways that Satan is at work. This is what the Bible says. This is not, this is from James chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Hear this out. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, James says, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now, I have spent my life hanging around church, so people don't, in church, they don't generally overtly get involved in overt, vile, you know, uh, sins, publicly, right? They do privately and secretly, and, but, but I mean, you generally don't see that. But what we do have is a whole cluster of things that are kind of okay in, among church people. And James says, these things shouldn't be. Like when, when we're not careful how we talk about or to one another, this is earthly, sensual, demonic, and along with that is every vile practice. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying, sure, if you see somebody foaming at the mouth and Talk, a woman talking in a man's voice and blaspheming Jesus, that's probably demonic. It wouldn't, you wouldn't have to be that sharp to recognize that. But also there can be that seed of bitterness that we don't want to forgive, even a Christian brother, sister, or, or, or misunderstanding that we nurse a misunderstanding. Or Satan loves that. He loves to subtly work. And I think he works a lot in our, maybe in our marriages and among our, us and our kids and our families, the people that we love a lot. Just be aware that Satan, this is why he says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The religious guys were very religious while they were very religious and jealous of Jesus and murdered the Son of God and did Satan's work. And they did it all under a religious veneer. And while they were Bible-toting, but the wisdom that's from above is going to look like this. It's first pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruit and impartial and sincere. You can tell when something's of the Lord, there's a fragrance of heaven upon it. And uh, if demons are real, why don't we see them, though, more? Uh, if demons are real, 
why is it that we have these accounts in the Bible of unspeakable evil, but we don't see that many? Okay, I'll, I'll repeat these reasons a few times because I think this is kind of important for us to get our feet down on this. And that is, first of all, what we're seeing described in the New Testament is ground zero of Jesus bringing the kingdom and Satan and his demons know it and they're meeting him there and it's a showdown at, you know, like showdown on Mount Carmel. It's showdown at the OK Corral. That's one reason. Another reason is because the population of the world, uh, one commentator I read said the population of the world is multiplying, but demon numbers aren't multiplying. There's a limited number of them. They can't be everywhere at once. It's just an interesting logical explanation. Another one is, like I said before, in a, in a naturalistic, materialistic, we think we're scientific culture like we're in, if we don't believe in the miracles and we don't believe in the demonic, he doesn't want us to believe, why would he manifest himself openly to people like that when he's already got his way with us? That's a serious reason. I think it's very real. I think it's going to change in America, my humble opinion, because so many people are turning away from God. The love of many is growing cold. The bookstore section is shrinking among Christian books and it's growing among demonic books and demonic fare. And that's going to be more overt. We're going to see more of that, I believe. The Cadet family, a missionary family from Haiti, I was talking with them about the uh, fact that the belief in demons and the supernatural in Haiti was very common. They said, everybody believes in the supernatural in Haiti. And, and because of uh, the voodoo and, the, and, and even the syncretic religions that come, and they embrace voodoo and a form of Christianity, and so people... They believe in the supernatural because they've seen all kinds of demonic things. And the Cadet family said, you don't have to convince anybody in Haiti of the reality of the supernatural. You just have to persuade them to choose good over evil and trust God in the face of fear. Naturalist and materialist cultures, or the West, are more, more effective when hidden. One more quote on this and then we'll move on. Chuck Lawless wrote about this. He said, that in fact may be the major difference in the enemy's work in animistic cultures where he wants animists to fear him more, he wants Westerners to fear him less, if at all. If so, this strategy wouldn't preclude possession. I've heard credible reports of demon possession in North America, but it would also would not emphasize it. Holding non-believers in the bondage of naturalism or independence or idolatry makes more sense in much of North American culture. And there's a link in the notes if you want to read a, a, a really thorough article about that. That is fascinating to me. In other words, we should be savvy and realize because, because Satan doesn't always show himself like a cockroach in the dark, doesn't mean he's not at work. It means he's smart enough not to be overtly at work unless he wants to scare people. And then if that's going to work, then, then he'll do bizarre things that scare people. The Satan and demons are crafty, and they often stay hidden like cockroaches in darkness. But once a culture is aware and open, there'll be more manifestations of the demonic, and that's starting to happen. The Bible never commands us to exercise people or cast demons out of people or learn incantations or all kinds of other bizarre things. Um, he told the 70 and the 12 to do that. He didn't tell us to do that when he gave the Great Commission. The ordinary way to deliver people from darkness is like I mean, one way would be, imagine, do you remember, I don't think we have them here in our church. Remember the old churches used to have a little table with a little cutout where the teacher, did you have one of these in your church in Kentucky, Lois? Do you remember the, they had a little table that was junior and then the teacher would scoot up here and the little, remember that? You used to have those. 
Um, I just had my little nostalgia thing happen to me. And, and, the, and the, imagine a little old lady that's been walking with the Lord all of her life, and she has a little group of six girls, and she's telling them about Jesus. She's doing spiritual deliverance right there. That's deliverance ministry. That's, that's the front line. It's gentle. It's patient. It's truth. Those girls followed that way, repent of their sin, have the Holy Spirit living in them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is, uh, this is what the scriptures teach. I love this passage. It, it's a description of spiritual warfare, and it might surprise you. Here's how it goes. This is uh, in the pastoral epistle, Paul writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, and here it comes, escape the snare of the devil after they've been captured by him to do his will. Beautiful description of deliverance ministry. Patient teaching of the truth, sets people free of the bondage that they're in. Jesus is in town now. Jesus is in town. Jesus is in town. And he's doing stuff. He's up to good. He's bringing the light to the darkness. He's setting people free. He's forgiving people of their sin and shame. Jesus is in town Sick people are going to get better. Wow, that's great. He's spreading eternal life around. So gospel conversations, faithful teaching, love, patience, granting of repentance, bringing an apple pie, changing people's mind. I threw that apple pie in there. It's just like, it was the Lord, I think. Ordinary means of grace should be faithfully employed like good, consistent nutrition. You know, if you go to the doctor, the doctor goes, oh, Ken, you're a little overweight. He never says, I'm a little overweight. It is kind of cute, though, because I'm like, not a little overweight. And the doctor always says, I think I, I just like you to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, who are you kidding? You know I need to lose more than 10 pounds. And it's kind of like we want to get you going in the right direction. So he's kind of like going, we could just lose 10 pounds. I'm like, I can sneeze and lose 10 pounds, you know. Anyway, he, uh, that was inappropriate, wasn't it? He says, he says uh, but here's the thing I know about nutrition and don't practice as often as I should. God help me is that if I decide I'm going to eat broccoli tomorrow, I'm going to eat broccoli for 24 hours, it's not going to change my life forever. <laughs> In the natural, I'm going to need to, you know, eat well and wisely, consistently, for a significant period of time. And that's good for me. This is an analogy that I'm using. In the spirit, God wants us to have consistent good works, consistent truth pouring into us, consistent work in the disciplines, the means of grace, and good things happen when we consistently rely upon the Lord and there will be deliverance, there'll be help to people and for ourselves as well. Ordinary means of grace, faithfully employed like good nutrition, the scriptures say they conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. In other words, they stood on the ground with the gospel, they had a personal experience in it, the word of their testimony, and they were ready to die for him. And that's how you overcome the devil. So Satan's not real. If Satan's not real, if demons are not real, the Bible is not true. The Bible is clear, it says it is. If Satan is not real, 
There is no reasonable explanation for the great evil that we see all around us and that's happened against us. If Satan is not real, there's no real good reason for the trouble you have with yourself. But thanks be to God, Jesus has authority over darkness and Jesus has authority over demons. And all God's people said, amen. And third, Jesus has authority over disease and death and ultimately give us eternal life. But even in his earthly ministry from time to time, he would just heal somebody to prove that he had power over disease. Now, sometimes he uses disease and sickness and death for his purposes. Sometimes he brings a, a, a brother or a sister home to heaven. Sometimes he uses disease to chastise us to give us something better than we would have had if he hadn't let that thing come into our life. And we don't want to complain against him, but trust him. And sometimes it's just for the glory of God. Because a part of our testimony is going to be we endured suffering faithfully for God and he was glorified. So he has purposes in suffering, but if he wants to, he can heal people. Why so many miracles in the ministry of Christ? Riken says he didn't do miracles so that we could expect a miracle. He did miracles to confirm the identity of Jesus. And you can just read the book of Luke and you see that's what that's about. He wants us to see who Jesus is and shows that he has authority over darkness, over demons, over disease and over death. Why doesn't everyone get better for the reasons that I mentioned? Because God might be using sickness for a different reason. And why did Jesus not want the demons to testify? It's here in this passage in verse 30. See, notice it, um, verse 41, after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, the demons also came out of many, saying, you're the son of God. He rebuked them and wouldn't allow them to speak. And you remember, he doesn't want us to be listening to a mixed message from demons of half-truth and this should be aware of this. You know, you hear stories on television, you read books about, I had this visitation or I went to heaven or I went to hell. Like, be careful. Be really careful about that. You have the, the word of the one true God. Believe that. The other stories, be very careful because somebody could tell you a lot of true things in order just to slip in one thing that wasn't true. Pay attention. Think. That's what you would do if you were the devil. It's not dumb. Tell a lot of true things that are sentimental and warm and they feel really good and they make me feel happy and then throw in the one damning thing that will eventually I can use to claim their soul. It's really happening in all kinds of things. So this is why Jesus says, no, I don't need you to talk for me. You just be quiet. And so to review, this is about the authority of Christ over all things that oppress. So today's stories feature the scope and power of Jesus' authority, the limits of Christ's authority, which is unlimited, the scope, which is infinite, and the nature, which is good deeds. And he's helping people that are oppressed by demons be in their right mind. He's helping people that are dying. And this lady, this is sweet. That You know I would mention this, right? What happens after he heals Peter's mother-in-law? He fixes her food, right? Is that what happens? She fixes him food. Isn't that kind of cute? Do you like that, Lois? She's like, gonna die. He heals her. She goes, hold on. She must have been from Kentucky, Lois. I'm gonna fix, oh, there's people here to, to eat. I imagine girls from Kentucky that are not from Kentucky also feed people. She gets up and says, oh, we've got guests. Uh, a little episode on The Chosen that shows this is kind of, you know, a bit fanciful, but it's kind of cute. Ch check that out. Jesus he heals her, and then she says, oh, We've got to take care of these people. It's a sweet little episode, isn't it? God, heal me. I will get up and serve you. God, deliver me. I'll tell everybody I know. God, set me free. 
I'll tell everybody I know. I'll sing about you forever. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'll serve in your church. Just set me free. Heal me. I'll serve you. Ah, that's so sweet, isn't it? Why don't we see it more? I think one of the reasons we don't see it more. We need to talk about dispensations in the age and the fact that, you know, miracles happen more here and less there. And there are periods of silence and there are periods of activity. There's a lot of that. There are places in the world where the gospel is breaking through and there are miraculous things. And we don't see as much. But we got to be willing to every once in a while say, we have not because we ask not sometimes. And also, to deal with demonic people, you got to get out among demonic people. And, you know, it's kind of easy for us not to do that, but to kind of insulate ourselves and to kind of isolate ourselves and to hang out a shingle and say, hey, come on in if you want us to tell you the gospel. We'll be here on Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, 1045, chilly afterward, you know. Or, but, if we, but we got to go. What I'm, what I'm thinking, and the Lord is showing me this, and as you better figure out a way to go out because they're not coming in. The brothers and sisters are coming in. Thank the Lord for that. But then the lost people that are oppressed and that are in need, they don't even know to come in. And they're everywhere in our town. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And they're really troubled. They're really broke. I sat down with a kid last week and he's a young guy and he's trembling. And he's cold and he's hungry and he's confused. And we get to know each other and he goes... How, how did he put it? I'm 11 months clean and sober, he says. And he's sort of shaking, you know. I'm 11 months. And this is a young guy trying to cling to life and get a job and get a house and get on his feet. And he says, I'm 11 months clean and sober. And that would be good just to go find somebody who needs help and do something nice. Love him, smile at him, and give him something. Help him, pray for him. And then maybe we would see a little bit more action, right? Maybe we'd see a little bit more something, something. Like I'm out among really lost people and they're like, oh my goodness, they're demon possessed or they're oppressed or they're troubled or they're in bondage. Like, oh, it's getting really, it's getting real, real now. It's not all clean. I really think that's a piece of it. Do things. That's why. So, so again, to reiterate, you know, why don't we see more? It's, it's because it's a unique time and place in the kingdom. Verse 43 says that, you know, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns. I just brought the good news of the kingdom to this town. Now I'm going to another town and bring the good news. So it's like showed, that's one reason. There are also more people in the world now, limited number of demons. There are also that animistic culture, naturalistic culture. But sometimes we're just not in the game, I think. I think we should, we, we don't have converts because we don't go to the mission field and give the gospel, sow the seed of the gospel to people. We have a few converts because we just sow a little bit of seed. Now, I'm not badgering. I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to inspire and showing you how, just encouraging you that you have authority in the Lord. That person that you work with that's asking you those questions or they're pushing back and they're saying that stuff, ask God to give you a word for them. Ask God to give you a truth, a piece of truth for them. Ask God to make you bold that you would speak truth back to them, that you would look them in the eye like, there's hope. Let me tell you about I, I know somebody that could describe this. You know, go get a, go get a you know, call for help. But, but, you know, call in one of the big guns, you know, to help you out. You know, do the hard work and then call in the pastor and then we'll come and talk. You know, we can talk, right? So there's that. Do things. Go into all the world. You have authority. Peyton Jones, in his book about how to reach people, 
And Peyton could be a little acerbic, but I read him anyway because it kind of lights a fire under me. Peyton Jones wrote in a book about how to reach people who are in spiritual darkness. He stated that it's common for us to keep the truth within our church walls and not go out to the people. Uh, it's like you keep the light, but you don't take the light out to the darkness where the people are. If we're not careful, we can talk about things that we don't really do that often. So here's what he wrote. He used Ernest Hemingway as an example, as a writer. He wrote, as an author and a field journalist, Ernest Hemingway was, or was disgusted when he saw this type of hypocrisy among authors. He believed that he should never write about something that he hadn't personally done. He wrote about fishing, bullfighting, safari, hunting, war, because they're adventures that he lived himself. He was wounded in the field of battle. He survived a plane crash. He boxed as a prize fighter. And he did more things by the age of 30 than most of us will ever do in a lifetime. And his potent motto was taken from Benjamin Franklin, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing about. Now, Ernest Hemingway did not know the Lord. But the point was here, Jesus doesn't want us just to know stuff, just to apply. He wants us to obey him. Go into all the world and, and pray for people who are lost and love people who are lost and train yourself to have gospel conversation. Jesus says before he left, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now you go into all the world, implying my authority is with you and I'm with you always. He called us 12, he gave him authority. So here's some quick, quick uh, Parting thoughts, parting thoughts. Does it sound innocent enough? All right, number one, let's welcome the light of Jesus into our own darkness first. That thing you're discouraged about, the thing you're broken about, the thing you're sad about, that knot in the wood in your marriage, welcome Jesus into that. That thing with your kids that breaks your heart, welcome Jesus into that. He'll come into it. Welcome the light of Jesus. He has authority over that. Should he encourage you? Whatever it is you came in here heavy-hearted about, Jesus is bigger than that thing. Welcome him into it. Ask him into it. Yield to him what he says. See what he does. It can get interesting. Number two, after you do that, take the light of Jesus to the darkness around. Sometimes we have dark manifestations we haven't seen because we live in safety. And I already mentioned that. But if the, if the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, the idea must be the church isn't on defense. The church is supposed to be on offense. We're not protecting ourselves from the attacks of the world as much as we are taking it to them. And so this is what we should be thinking about. Lady at a train stop, I, I linked a video uh, on the notes page that you can watch. There's a lady who's on her way to work. She lives in California. She gets to work at 4.30 in the morning. She's on her way to work one morning, and there's some people there, about 15 people from a church, giving out donuts and coffee, and they're all smiley and friendly, and they're witnessing at 4.30 in the morning from this Lancaster Baptist Church out there in California. And the lady's like, what's going on? She's on the video, and I think she said, if you watch the video, it's so sweet. The lady on the video says, I think she says, so I came to the church, and then she got saved, she got baptized. I think she said 13 or 15 of her family members now are part of that church because somebody went out and, from the church and gave out coffee and, and gave out donuts and tried to witness to her at 4.30 in the morning. I love to hear stuff like that. Take the light to the darkness do good works, shine your light. There's this preaching, that's pulpit preaching, but then there's public preaching where you go out and there's personal preaching where you talk with somebody and all of us should be doing that. 
having that conversation. So let's be, let the light in for us. Let's take the light to others around us. Let's be encouraged that he has authority over darkness and demons and disease. Don't go away sad today or badgered. I don't badger you. It's just like, be encouraged. You're in that school and all those kids that are in that school. And you like, go in there with your chin up. You have the authority of Jesus. That's pretty cool. Let's be encouraged that he has authority over darkness. And let's be encouraged that when we go with the gospel, his authority is ours. We, his authority is with us into the end of the age, what it says. And I could go on and on. But let me just close with this story. One summer, I was speaking in northern lower peninsula of Michigan at a camp up by Traverse City. Story was told that was going around the camp of a young lady that came to camp that year and caused quite a stir. She got off the bus. I think she was from Chicago. She got off the bus dressed all in black, black makeup, black fingernail polish, and she would just kind of glower at people. And she said, everyone who would, she said to everyone who would listen, you need to know that I am a practicing witch. So she shows up at Bible camp telling everybody she's a practicing witch. And that caused a sensational stir among the other campers. Some of them were petrified to think they were at Bible camp with a practicing witch. Practicing witch, practicing witch. The, the word went around from the cafeteria to the snack shack to the waterfront. It was, it was on everybody's lips. There's a practicing witch here. Her counselor was a little intimidated. And most of her cabin mates slept with one eye open at night, and they kept their distance from her in the daytime. And some of them concerned themselves with her salvation and tried to lead her to the Lord. But some of the girls gathered under a shade tree and prayed for her deliverance. There were long conversations about how do you cast demons out of people. So one night, one night, chapel had started. True story, I know the guy who told me this. His name's Ken Rudolph, who told me this. One night, chapel started, and Ken, the speaker for the evening, was hurrying across the camp a couple of minutes late because chapel had already started. He could hear the band playing in the chapel. Suddenly, out of the corner of his eye, he noticed a couple of girls that were cowering behind a tree, and they looked troubled. And he said to them, is everything okay? And they said, no, we're afraid. And he, they said, did you know there's a practicing witch here this week? And they were trembling with fear. He said, come with me. The seasoned youth speaker said, I want to show you guys something. So they clung to each other, and they followed the speaker to the chapel. And stepping in the back door, he asked them to look into the chapel where the band was playing a favorite song, and 300 campers were literally jumping up and down with their hands in the air, and they were singing praise to God. They'd been singing that same song all week. They had it down. They were jumping, and their hands were up, and they were singing, and they were raising a roof on that chapel. He said, look in there. What do you see? What do you see, girls? He said. And then before they could answer, he said, it's one practicing witch and 300 practicing Christians. Yeah, things are dark. But God has placed lights everywhere, and you're one of them. And Satan and his demons are real, and they're dangerous. But he's put the Spirit of God in each of us, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 